Welcome into this special U.S. Open preview. We are at the In-Town Club in Charlotte, North Carolina, this fantastic new private club, social club, golf club. And I am very pleased to be joined by Taylor Zarzer, Johnson Wagner, Brendan Young. Gentlemen, this was supposed to be about the U.S. Open and the lion's share of what we're going to do is talk about the U.S. Open. But a little news item dropped today. And it's not just what happened with the PGA Tour and Live. I have one announcement I need to make. The club here has asked that Spence Whitman keep his shirt on for the entire show tonight. I don't know if he can do that or not. That will be an upset. All right, gentlemen, (laughs) let's get to the news of the day. And that is the fact that the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour and Live slash the private investment fund of Saudi Arabia are are going to join forces together. I'm not going to ask you if you're surprised. We're all dumbstruck uh, by this news. What, What is your biggest takeaway from the news today? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the story, Gary, is that when it happened and how it happened and the fact that almost none of us knew that it was about to happen. I think that ultimately this happening eventually is not something that would have surprised us in some shape or form, but the way that it happened without the pl- almost any player's knowledge from the PGA Tour or Liv's knowledge or the media leaking it or any other governing bodies being aware of it, I think that's the surprising part. I think ultimately down the road, three, four, five years from now, all the best players in the world playing in the same events is going to be great for fans of the game of golf. And I think it could be great for anyone that's connected to the game of golf, like you, me, Johnson, Brendan, and anyone else. I think that before we get to that, there's a lot of questions that a lot of us have. And there's some frustrations that a bunch of PGA Tour members have in the fact that the line in the sand was drawn between the PGA Tour and Liv, and the commissioner and everyone that worked for the PGA Tour made it clear you're not to cross that line. And then without the player's knowledge, the commissioner went and brokered a deal without them on what he told the players never to do. I think the lack of trust that's currently um, that's present with the PGA Tour is going to be a real issue for them to overcome in the, months, in the months ahead of us. But years from now, I think we'll look at the designated tournaments on the PGA Tour and say, this is great. we got all the best players playing, not only in the major championships, but also in the biggest PGA Tour events. All right, longtime members of the PGA Tour, both of you. You were a member of the policy board. Um, you've talked to a lot of players, both of you, communicated over the course of the day, stunned. The membership was stunned by this, were they not? Everybody was stunned. Nobody knew anything that was going on. I remember when I heard the news, it was shocking, and I didn't know quite how to react. Like, I I was angry. I was surprised. Uh, I remember sitting in a policy board meeting back in 2020, right before COVID hit, and it was, I was my last year on the board, and we had three new members, and Jay Monahan put forth this package without going to the Player Advisory Council and said, we want you guys to put into the PGA Tour bylaws that every person that goes to live or signs with a new tour is banned from the PGA Tour for life. And so the four of us got together and we said, no, we're not going to do this. This is not how we operate our governance on the PGA Tour. And so we, we, we denied them, said you can take it to the pack if you want. They freaked out. They asked us why we don't want to protect our tour. And we said, well, this is not our decision. We're four people. We have a membership of 200 plus. This is not our decision to make. And so I felt like today when I heard this news after supporting 
Commissioner Monahan for the last three plus years, I felt like my support, I felt like, and I, this is a strong word, but I felt like I got stabbed in the back today for supporting him for so long. You think the majority of the members of the PGA Tour feel that way? Very much so. Very much so. I mean, you have to. It's the hypocrisy is real. I mean, really, we've been told this, this, this. Like, there is no budging from that line. And then all of a sudden, this happens. So, yeah, you got to feel like you're stabbed in the back. And I, I want to see how quick the backlash is. Like, how, how soon, excuse this for how quickly heads will roll. It's, um, it, it really is. It's bad. Every single guy out there is frustrated. And, and it does. It feels like kind of uh, their back turned on us. The, the meeting today, from all accounts, very contentious, very heated. A uh, lot of people, you know, shared their thoughts. Voices were heard. Um, as far as where it goes from here, the people that, that we haven't heard from at this moment are some of the, the, the more important voices. Um, who can lend reason to all of this? On a player's side, who do you want to hear from? Who are the players that you guys would appeal to uh, that can speak to all of this. Well, I mean, Roy McIlroy has basically carried the banner of the PGA Tour for the last year and a half. I mean, go back a year to this tournament that we're playing right now, the Canadian Open. Rory won. It was the first live event, and Rory is sitting there carrying the PGA Tour on his back. And what he has been asked to do for the last year, I don't know how he's not and he's not completely furious with what's gone on. I'd like to hear from Rom. We've had a conversation earlier today about it. I think those guys are furious, too. Scheffler, all these guys turned down minimum of $40, $50 million to stay loyal to the PGA Tour, and now we're going to welcome back all these guys, which I'm not saying it's not the right decision, but the way it was done, is uh, it's, it's been in very poor taste. All right. With respect to Rory, is Rory angry, do you think? I, I think so, yeah. And I think that they're, to Johnson's point, they're going to have to figure out a way to make him whole out of this. And I don't know what that is, if that's some sort of team event that he is going to get to cash in and on in the future or what. I do think that there's probably, in 2024, we're going to see a PGA Tour schedule that looks very similar to the one we had in 2023. And we may not see a live golf schedule after 2023. And instead, what we may see is a few team events that players that did not make the decision to jump to live. The Aramco series. That could cash in on. Um, so, if, but if yes, absolutely, to their point, if you're Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley, Hideki Matsuyama. Sure. I mean, he's the Ricky one. Ricky Fowler, more, more we can go anybody. on and on. Yeah, Adam Scott, who was convinced to go to a meeting in Delaware instead of join their series. I mean, if you're those guys, then I'm sure you're upset at all the money you could have made. Instead, you showed your loyalty to the PGA Tour, and then in the end, you weren't participating in the way uh, to find some common ground. I'm sure there's some frustration there. It, it does make me wonder how we got to this point. Was it all the impending litigation that, that was had to out be there. Part of it. Yeah, that, that was out there in front of us. Did the PGA Tour not want their books to be revealed? Did they want to keep their nonprofit designation? And once you discover everything about their books, as almost everybody in this room can say better than I can, um, it, it, after that had happened, would they have been able to keep that nonprofit designation? I'm sure that was a part of it. But I also think on the other side of it, I don't think the Saudis wanted their books to be discovered either. And I also think that they're not so proud of the product they put out. The, it has not stuck and resonated the way that they wanted it to. I don't think their leader, Greg Norman, has um, developed a lot of um, 
a lot of support among the players that play on Live. So I think all those factors contributed to why this happened so quickly. Greg is, was persona non grata today when asked if he was in the loop. Um, the governor of, of the public investment fund said, I contacted him just before this. He's out, isn't he? Got, he's got to be, right? If he hasn't be heard out, until, right? until we heard, then he's got to be. He's obviously not involved in the decision, so he's got to be out. Well, and part of the deal was with McElroy and the players at B, they said that no deal could be made without Norman being gone or without Commissioner Monahan being gone. So uh, based on what I heard in that meeting today, um, the players want Monahan out, Norman's out, let's just say. So maybe Jay brokered a deal for unity, and I'm, I'm going to give him a little benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's part of his plan is knowing he's on his way out, but he's unifying the game while he leaves. Okay, it's a, a finite number of people knew about this. There's no other way you could have one of the great secrets in the history of American sports without only a, a few people knowing about it. So Ed Herlihy... Who, who is a lawyer who has been in lockstep with Jay, has provided counsel literally and figuratively for him for several years. Jimmy Dunn, who is now on the board, obviously he's a central figure here. Jimmy Dunn is close with Rory McIlroy. You don't think Rory woke up today and found out this news like everybody else. You honestly don't think he found out today, do you? Well, you told me otherwise. Well, <laughs> I, I, think he, I think he's known, and that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I, I was told that he's known. Does that surprise you? But how many of those people that are... Not many. Yeah. The only other person that I think on a player, from a player's perspective, who's known about this before this morning is somebody who doesn't play much golf anymore. You know Tiger knew, right? Apparently he did not know. Really? There's no way on God's green earth he woke up this morning and Jack, found out Jack like Nicholas I did. Jack following. Nicholas didn't know either. No, but no, no, that's, you, that's one thing. I can, I can reveal something. I've gotten permission to discuss this publicly. Last week, our friend Harold Varner III and I were playing some golf, and we were making— That's shocking. Right. And, I, and, um, and I, I may have gotten a few dollars off of him right after his big victory on the Live Golf Series. And we were having, as we always do, an argument about the future of golf. And he said— I will ne- he said, I bet you I'm never playing on the PGA Tour again. I said, you'll play on the PGA Tour within the next three years. He said, no way. These guys are going to hold their ground. That's not going to happen. And we made a rather significant um, wager on in the next three years, you will be back on the PGA Tour. And on Tuesday morning at 9.57 a.m., I sent him a text message and said, you owe me $1,010. So is the Lib brand dead? I think so, yeah. I think at the end of 2023 it will be. I don't think that you're going to see 14 team events with shotgun starts and playing 54 holes anymore. I think what you'll see instead are a few team events throughout the year that will include all the best players in the game of golf, and you'll see a... PGA Tour schedule with designated events that have all the best players in the world playing in it. Now, maybe there's a scenario where live golfers aren't allowed to play in those events in 2024 so that players that didn't get to go to live get to reap the benefits of that in 2024. I could see a scenario where that plays out. Um, But yes, to answer your question, I don't think after 2023 we're going to see anything similar to what we've seen in the last two years with live golf. You agree with that? completely agree. I think Live Golf, I think it's part of what Jay's mission was in doing this deal is that Live Golf will be dead after 2023. What it looks like going forward, that's the next step. 
I agree. I don't think I don't think the model took off. I don't think it got the traction that they wanted. I, I think it's done as well. So if you look at the players and the re-entry, guys like like Cam Smith and Brooks Kepkin, Dustin Johnson, and there's, there's a handful of others in terms of what they already accomplished on the PGA Tour. Are they greenlit right away? Are they? Are they? Is their re-entry soft and easy? Based on what Monahan said, it's. I think it's going to be up to the commissioner's discretion, and there are rules and regulations put in place for this. I don't think it would go over very well if there weren't punishments put in place. If that's three months suspension, six months suspension, I don't think they're going to let these guys waltz back through the door starting in 2024. But basically sometime in 2024 they will be i think you're going to see all this sorted out in the months to come but one scenario a fellow player presented to me was maybe they're allowed to play in full field events aka non-designated events opposite field events to strengthen those events but not allowed to play in designated events in 2024 again i don't think that's been decided but that's one possibility. Do, do you see suspensions for these guys? Well, that's like, the thing. I don't. How can you instill a suspension when you when what happened today? There's no way that these guys can be suspended. Yeah, when, and when if, I'm a, media, if I'm a media partner, and I know these guys are essentially eligible, and you're telling me that I've got the West Coast swing, and the, the American Express in Palm Springs can't have Brooks Koepka or Dustin Johnson, or or Bryson DeChambeau. I'd say you're out of your minds. These guys, I, I, I don't see that. What, I, what I'm interested in is that the guys who don't have quite that level of, of cachet or accomplishment, is their path a little bit more cumbersome to make their way back? Well, Johnson made a really good point a few months ago when we were all together about guys like Harold Barner who have never won a PGA Tour event. Right. They would, in essence, have to go back to Q school now that they're outside of a the top 50 in the world ranking. Cameron Tringali. Yeah, guys, I mean, now Similar. certainly yeah. they would get a few sponsors exemptions depending on which tournaments they have strong contacts with. So they would, you would think, get an invitation to play in those events. But in order to regain full PGA Tour status, that's a great question. I, I don't know if they're going to have to earn their way back the way that the, these two Virginia Tech guys had to do out of college. I don't know that that's the path or not. They 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 have to be able to earn. They have to earn their way back. You can't just let these guys that took all that money go play, let their exemption yeah. run out, and then think that oh, I left two years ago, my exemption still stands. That is not going to fly. There's no way that flies. Do you think that that the Premier Golf League, for for people who may not remember that model? We may see a reincarnation of that really in full because Premier, Premier Golf League, they, they tried to get the audience with Jay Monahan. And Rory tried to facilitate that audience, uh, and it never happened. They went to the Saudis, and, and the, the folks who were financing them said, look, we need to have them involved. The Saudis just basically took the model and ran with it. Do you think that that's what we're going to see ultimately, that they will carve out a footprint? Maybe a lot of it is outside of the United States that will be what that model is, maybe yeah. for the top 50 players in the world after Labor Day. I could see something like that, sure. Four or five events, you know, something like that. I don't know that it would be much larger than that many, just given what the schedule looks like between January and August and, and how many commitments that you have to make. Even if you're a designated player, you're playing in, what, that would be eight tournaments. You have to play in three non-designated tournaments, and then you're playing in the FedEx Cup playoffs and the majors. I mean, you're still looking at playing 20 tournaments, which is basically the number everybody's looked at as a full schedule on the PGA Tour. After that, you don't want to really get past 25. So to answer your question, yeah, I could see something like 
four or five of those existing on their own outside of that. And it makes sense outside the United States. I, I don't know that a guy like Hideki Matsuyama is going to play this card, but he's the one I think of more than anybody about wages lost in this. Right. Because if the money reported that he reportedly was going to get is accurate, which is in the middle hundreds of millions, yep. is right, then they're going to have to figure out some sort of Asian connection for him to cash in on this maybe after the FedEx Cup playoffs. Do you, do, if, if we want to assess winners, which is kind of a, it can be frivolous at times. Did Phil Mickelson win today? You want to shake that you, one? You don't have to feel comfortable. <laughs> you don't have to be happy saying it. I, I think he thinks he won. That's for sure. I, whether he did or not, I, I don't know. I think we're still going to see where the chips fall, but I think he definitely thinks he won. I think he lost a year ago. I think his reputation is going to be tarnished for a long time. <laughs> whether or not he can bring that back, I think the Masters was a good step. But, yeah, obviously I think everybody that went to live and the Saudis and the PIF won today. Okay, who from the PGA Tour currently is a winner? Victor hmm. Hovland. Yes, he's a Victor Hovland just won the Memorial Tournament, okay. so he's, he's a winner. Whoever won the three-for-two playoff in Los Angeles, they're winners. Um, did, did I don't, the entire PGA I don't, I don't, Tour win? Come on, man. No, ultimately, infusing. sure. No, no, in the, in the next few years, absolutely they did. But I think that just about all of the PGA Tour members that didn't go to they, live they, they feel, feel the way Johnson and Brendan do. And, and rightfully so. You, they don't you feel should like feel betrayed, right now. there's no doubt. You were told to publicly posture in a certain way, and then, and then in a very odorous way, your own commissioner showed a level of duplicity that was pretty extraordinary. But at the end of the day, if he goes back to you, and it's, it's not easy to accept this considering the way he asked you to speak and present yourself for the last year, if he doubles the valuation of your property, of your product, pretty quickly, don't you win? If, if the John Deere is playing for $30 million in 2025, isn't that a win for Peter <laughs> Malnati? Obviously, yes. And it was actually asked in the player meeting today, someone said, everybody in this room should walk out of here with $5 million. And Jay Monahan said, everything's on the table. Okay, well, I, I think they all are. I really believe that. Don't you? Yes. Don't you guys it, are gonna think it, you're going to see? I mean, look, these guys, eventually. $2 billion for them is, is pocket change. Johnson's paying for the drinks tonight, <laughs> if that's the case. I wasn't in the meeting. I was a voyeur. <laughs> look, what, what do the Saudis get? Uh, they get a much better product that they're pouring money into is what they're getting. They were embarrassed by the product that they were pu- putting out on the golf course every few weeks that almost no one was watching. It, their, their event in Australia was a success. It went over well. But by and large, most of their events have not been seen. Right. No matter how much the players may say they've enjoyed them, it's not connected with the audience the way that they were told it was going to be. And so... I think the fact that they're now having access to by far the biggest golf product in the world, the PGA Tour, and that they have a connection to that product. Uh, There was something that was mentioned on that CNBC interview about women's golf. They desperately want to completely fund women's golf. And I, I could see a scenario where you're seeing the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour being funded by and large by the same thing. So I think the access that they have to the game of golf is going to be very similar to the access that they have to 
UFC or that they have the Formula One or to wrestling or to, or soccer or some other endeavors across the world? Yeah, I, to me, if you look at the fledgling brand of live, so that is sacrificed for a seat at the table in the golf ecosystem in this country that has great value to them. And here's the other thing I think is going to happen pretty swiftly. If you don't think that Roger Goodell and Rob Manfred and Gary Bettman and Adam Silver didn't all look around at their lieutenants today and say, this is a good day for us, Saudi money is coming to America at the highest level of American sports. Do you not see that coming? It's got to be coming. Do you see Liv finishing their season? I don't know. I, that's a good question. I mean, do they, do, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen with their contracts, with their players. Look, a lot of those guys signed two, three, four-year deals. I don't, I don't know how that's You know who the losers realized. in this are? The, the guys, I think there's something like 25 live members that are, have never been members of the PGA Tour, guys like Scott Vincent sure. from Zimbabwe. These guys that kind of gave up their Asian Tour status or whatever they've done, now they're starting, they had this gravy train going, and now they're going to be kind of left in the cold. Here, here is another. The bottom level. And Andy Ogletree. Sure. I, to, to me, though, look, I, I think talent gets realized. Like, it, the, the path may be harder Fair. for some of these guys, but overall, the infusion of insane dollars into, into the tour system, and it, I think it is, there's a lot of irony today, but the fact that a lot of these guys who left for live were, were talking about how much of a monopoly the PGA Tour is, it's now a monolith on steroids is what it is. Yes, it is. It's um, it, it ultimately going back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation. It's, it's startling, really. Uh, our friend Mark Schleybaugh of ESPN said this on the air and give him full credit for it. He said, I would have been less surprised coming on television today had I said Nick Saban is the new head coach of the Auburn Tigers. Like it's um, the fact that we are sitting here at the beginning of June, and we saw Jay Monahan with the man that lo- that leads the public investment fund on national television in full support of what they're going to be doing together moving forward is, uh, I didn't have that on my bingo card. You, the four of us sat together in advance of the PGA Championship talking about how plausible it would be if Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka won that event in their entry into the Ryder Cup oh. system. You picked him to win. You picked Kepka to win the PGA. You were right. Another huge winner today, the European Ryder Cup yes. team. Because the DP World Tour, in a very stealth way, while everyone is talking about how they're just, you know, the redheaded stepchild in the whole ecosystem of, of tour golf around the world, they carved out a hell of a good deal with the PGA Tour in terms of the money they were getting from them already. Now they're getting more money. Now, and I don't think it's so much, I don't, you tell me how many players you think could realistically be on the team. Two Maybe one. You think three oh, for on European the, uh, yeah, on the European players? I'd side. say one for sure. Okay. Sergio you, Garcia. You think Sergio B is a, but but all those guys, Poulter and Westwood and and McDowell Stinson. and Sergio and Stenson, now they're totally fortified with respect to their captaincy and the, the intellectual like body that they've got going to like now Luke Donald, you're thinking like Really? Who was going to be his vice captains? Henrik Stenson will be it's introduced. It's going to look like the 27 Yankees. If he makes the Yankees. team, Brendan, you can introduce him as, here's Henrik Stenson, who was thrown off of being the captain of the team and now is playing for the team instead. 
Yeah, I mean, is Henrik Stenson a winner yet? No, I mean, he's no, still no, he not, lost not that yet. captaincy, right? But um, long term, they're whole again, are they not? They're absolutely whole again. Luke Donald, we talked about this. Luke Donald was eighth in line to be captain. Correct. Behind, just, well, not Justin Rose. He's still there playing competitively. But, yeah, Sergio Stenson, uh, Poulter, all the names you've named, Westwood, all these guys are back in the, in the throw. And I wouldn't be surprised to see two or three of them get picked if they get their European Tour status back. Um, last thing for, for now on this, because we're going to tra- transition to the U.S. Open. So Poulter and Mickelson was earmarked for Beth Page in, in 25. Oh, God. Is I, it back on, or I, is the Phil cleansing going to take longer than that? Well, to what they were saying earlier, it's one thing to say that Phil's ideas for what the Tour should look like Deserve, he deserves some credit for that. His method for going about it, no doubt. I think, is going to cost him dearly for the rest of his life. He has burned so many bridges relationship-wise in his life for the way he's handled things in the last year. So, I, look, we're sitting here talking about a united game. So I, I'm in shock that we're, that we're starting the conversation tonight talking about that. So anything clearly is possible next year. But I think that Phil has a lot of relationship building to do in the next year if he's going to be the captain at Beth Page Black in two years. Yeah, I think Poulter, I can see that. Phil's going to take longer, isn't it? I would say so. Maybe, maybe in 29 the next time it comes back here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't see there's any way that Phil's well, going to One of the most extraordinary days, for, forget golf, really in sports. I mean, it, it, it was something that, that struck everybody in a way that they – First of all, the level of surprise and then all the tentacles associated with there's so much more that is going to be revealed. And here's a couple of the other things. There's so much that has to be hashed out, not to mention the antitrust part of all this doesn't just go away. The litigation may go away, well, but, but, but the, the idea of the, the AFL and the NFL coming together required an act of Congress to, to, to get through. This is, this is not done. No, there's no This question. is just starting. That's a good point. And then the other part is, are, are players going to seek uh, wages out of this? I mean, uh, certainly they want money out of this, but if they don't get what they want, is there some sort of legal um, method that they're going to pursue? I mean, I think that's another question out of this. If PGA Tour players that were so loyal to their product that didn't go to live and were told not to go to live because... You don't want to be part of this for all of these reasons. Is there, is there something that they, they are going to try to pursue moving forward? Yeah, I think there's a lot of layers to it. All right, so with that all being said, uh, the world of golf is headed to Hollywood next week, which is, which is perfect timing. That of all times that they're going, I mean, they've gone to San Diego a couple times, but come on, it's San Diego, it's sleepy. They're going to L.A., and, and as much as the USGA might be swallowing hard right now, the reality is, is that it's going to be a buzz. And they're going to live with, with, no pun intended, all of the chatter Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then they're going to play golf on Thursday. Um, our intent was to talk exclusively about the U.S. Open. Let's transition and talk about it now. The, the level of interest and excitement you have for L.A. and Los Angeles Country Club. Well, it was a 10 out of 10 before, so now it's got to be higher than that if that's possible i don't like to deal in percentages that aren't reality but i'm a 15 out of 10 as far as excitement and i get to be there on the ground covering it it's going to be huge the the eyes of the world are going to be on the u.s open this year at la country club 
they were going to be there anyway because the venue's so spectacular. But now with all this news going on, it's going to be a U.S. Open to remember. Yeah, I'm pretty fired up, and I, I don't even like golf. But it's uh, <laughs> we can confirm that he really doesn't. <laughs> no, it, it's going to be it, it is going to be spectacular. I've never played LACC. Um, took a fly, took the fly over, saw it all. It looks absolutely unbelievable. First thought I had was very similar to Rev. That kind of look. Um, I think it's going to be a great, great venue. Um, I love the way that Barranca gets used, and it, it could be could go down as one of the best U.S. Opens for well, a while. Well, what's think. interesting about about the venue is that first of all, the market itself creates a, a lot of excitement. But usually, when the United States Golf Association has made the decision to to try someplace new, there is a heightened level of cynicism. Like, what are you doing? You had the road. Go back to the '80s if you want to start at Baltusrol to Marion to Pebble Beach, to Oakmont, to Wingfoot, to Oakland Hills. That's the U.S. Open. But this place has people really fired up. Well, the most recent examples of those new places that have provided cynicism are Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills. Yep. That's not necessarily LACC. No, it's not. It's a very different uh, feeling there. And the way that the golf course was already received by the masses and those that really appreciate architecture, you being at the top of that list among all people I know, is much higher than the other places the USGA has tried in recent years. On top of that, it's Los Angeles. It's not University Place, Washington, or wherever I was in Wisconsin. It is Los Angeles. And I don't mean that it's in a suburb. It is Los Angeles. I mean, you're in the heart of the city. You can see all of the buildings in downtown LA. The vibe there is truly unique. And I'm I, I, like these guys have said, I think given all the increased interest in the game, I think people are already going to be fired up simply because of what's happening. But once they see all these players competing on such a cool piece of land with this kind of vibe, I think it'll bring for a great U.S. Open. I hope we get some of the biggest names in the game competing against each other by the time it finishes. I love a West Coast U.S. Open. The last time we did it in San Diego, for whatever reason, television decided to end early. And we were ending at 7, 8, 9 o'clock You're Eastern right. time. This time we're ending at 11 o'clock Eastern time, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we're ending at 10 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. So truly it's prime time golf for all the people that are with us here, which everybody loves. And I think that'll be great for ratings and for the interest level in the game. Uh, I can tell you, speaking from experience, you miss one of those tiny greens, you don't get back on them. It's, um, it is there are much wider fairways there than what you typically would have in U.S. Open, but you are shooting to tiny targets, and the penalty for missing them is as severe as anything I've seen at a U.S. Open. Yeah, you know, his point about the new venues, look, I, I appreciate what the USGA did. They, they wanted to feel like we, we are, it's about the public trust. Let's take it to some, pe- some places that literally have public access. Pebble Beach doesn't really count. Um, so, so they tried that. But they're reining it in. And if you look at the Rota going forward, they've tightened it up. There's no doubt. Because we're talking about anchor sites over the next five to seven years. And you look at places like Oakmont and Shinnecock and obviously Pinehurst. We're talking about five to, every five to seven years these places are going to be hosting the U.S. Open. You played in two of them. You played in two of them. And you played at four different sites that are part of that true rotation. What is the U.S. Open right now, its identity, 
And what did it used to be? Well, but going back to new sites, Bethpage was a new site back in 02 or 03, yeah. and that was a home run venue. Yep. Even though Reese Jones butchered it from its original A.W. Tillinghast, that's a different <laughs> conversation to have altogether, but it hosted another one in 09, and now it's hosting PGAs and Ryder Cups. So I think there is something to hosting new venues, and I would liken LACC to more of the Bethpage new venue. But the U.S. Open growing up for me was always the hardest golf tournament in the world. 20-yard fairways, 6-inch rough. If you miss the fairway, you pitched out. And to Taylor's point about LACC, there it's Bermuda. It's Bermuda rough. So yeah. you're going to see guys going at these greens that have bunkers that come out 10, 15 yards in front of the greens and present crazy visuals to tiny targets. You're going to see guys wishing they had laid up out of the rough instead of going after the greens. But um, I think this is the new generation of U.S. Opens. I thought Shinnecock, when Brooks won a couple years ago, was a new Shinnecock than we'd ever seen before. So I think the USGA is starting to get it right with the playability and selecting their venues. You, you played at Pebble in 2010. You also played at Pinehurst for the reintroduction of what number two is now. Yeah. Um, did you like the U.S. Open? I did. I did. I Growing up, it was always tough but fair. I think they lost that identity for a little while there. When It seemed like when they started that target score, they had to make it goofy to get to that target score, and I never liked that. For me, growing up, it was always tough but fair, long rough. You, it was right in front of you. You knew you had to drive it in the fairway. You knew you had to hit it on the greens. And um, as I say, I think they lost that identity a little bit. And um, luckily, the last couple U.S. Opens, there haven't been any really big controversial moments Hopefully, we see more of that this yeah, year. Yeah, if you, if you think about it, Wingfoot was tricky and peculiar because it was COVID. It was played in September, um, and, and Bryson just mutilated the golf course. The last two years have been very, very good. Yeah. Very good. Fantastic. Excitement I mean, I level. I thought 19 with Woodland was great, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and Shinnecock, they, they, they clumsied up. I thought that the pin location on 15 on Sunday, I thought it was ludicrous. That's the other part of, like, it's a combination of an identity crisis I feel like they've had over the last 20 years, trying to shoehorn these new venues in. And then also, like, this level of benevolence, like, do we want graduated rough or don't we? Do we want wide fairways or don't we? Like, be who you are. Be what you thought they were growing up. Be the hardest damn golf course and hardest golf tournament in the world. Well, and we talked about Mike Davis during our PGA Championship preview show, and I think since Mike has been out of the setup team, we're starting to see incredible setups. I think the addition of Jason Gore and now Scott Langley is going to be very good, having a former tour player on the setup team looking at whole locations. That whole location at 15 at Shinnecock never would have happened with either of those guys. Helping with those Fair. decisions. And, and what do all those uh, U.S. Opens in 19, 21, 22, and I think this year at 23 have in common? John Bodenhammer is setting up the golf yeah. course with those guys. And I, I think to, to the point Brendan made, it, it got quirky. It got gimmicky, like he said. And what John has done is saying, you know what, we're going to err on the side of if somebody goes low, so be it, good for you. We're never going to be a 15-under-par winner kind of event. But if somebody goes a little bit lower than we're used to, let's do that for a few years. And everybody walks away saying, wow, this was a great competition. And then maybe eventually they get back to somewhere close to even par. The PGA Championship in some ways has become harder than the U.S. Open. I mean, I thought that Oak Hill this year was fantastic. And it felt like what a U.S. Open was for all of us growing up. Um, I think that if we see some redundancy at the U.S. Open and it feels somewhat similar 
to what the PGA Championship felt like, I don't think anybody that loves the game would have a problem with that. No, I don't, I don't either. I also, I'm with you on Oak Hill. I also think if it doesn't rain, the winner might have been 2-3 under par. Right, because it got so firm. So, yeah, those fairways, then, yeah. There would have been no 65s on Sunday like we saw. Good point. Uh, it, it just, it was totally different. It, it, when you played in 10 and 14, did you feel like the, the setup was relatively fair? I thought it was awesome. You I did. really did, yeah. I mean, obviously the setup for Pebble was great. We were used to playing it in February when it was really soft. When I got out there, it was firm as can be, but it was. It was fair. There was nothing goofy about it. I mean, I, I don't think you can really goofy up Pebble anyway. Um, but, yeah, it was right in front of you. And then Pinehurst, I thought, was absolutely great. I thought they did everything perfectly. You know, you could hit it down the sides of the fairways and it would go forever. It was when they instituted that watering just down the middles. But I thought they, they didn't miss a beat for that one. Would have been a hell of an event if Martin Keimer hadn't showed up. Truly. Right. I mean, it was also weird because they were playing from the native areas. You didn't know whether he hit an extraordinary shot or just an average shot. I mean, you didn't know if the lie was good or bad. I, I love what they did there. I just thought, look, he ran away like you said. And it was hard to tell what was great and what wasn't. I, I thought it was great. It, the options were great. Like, you had so many different options out of that native grass. It you better be great because they're going to be there every five yeah, years. Right, yeah. Going forward, starting next year. As far as L.A. North, for people who, are, who didn't watch any of the Walker Cup, like, the things about it that, that turn you on totally from a design standpoint... Playboy uh, Mansion behind the 14th it, Yeah, which has been sold, by the been way. been sold for uh, $100 million. Dollars. for for Wags, yeah, but it's exactly. no longer, yeah. Lionel Richie's yeah. house on the fourth hole, we could go on and on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what, you talked about the width of the fairways, but effectively they're not that wide because, like, for instance, 13 has so Ten. much tilt that you could hit it literally in the middle of the fairway and be in the right rough. Are there areas on the golf course you're worried about these guys carping because you guys bitch and moan like crazy about anything you <laughs> they're, don't like? They're, they're going to complain about the bunkering and the green complexes. There's a lot of serpentine-style greens out there. If you look at six, it's the drivable yep. par four. It's got it's sort blind of, off the tee. It's blind off the tee, and the, the play is out to the left and have the angle to the green, but then also... 15, the par 3 that plays super short, can play 125, 140 maybe down to 80 yards. That fairway is maybe 7 yards wide at its narrowest spot. So, yes, some of the green complexes and the severity of the bunkering going down off of these, a lot of them are skinny, skinny green. So I think there will be some complaining about that. What's the par 3, the first par 3 on the back? It's almost 300. It's 11. Almost 300 yards. And number 7 is 295. And it could be a 4. They're not going to mess with that. Tiger, unfortunately, won't be playing, but he did tell me at Riviera when I was walking with him, he said he absolutely thinks the scoring average on 15, the 80-yard par 3, will be higher than than the 11, the the 290-yard Par three, That'll because be he says that green's not so severe. You miss the green on 15. No way you're making par. No way you're making par in, in, unless you unless you hit the stick and you better play safely to two putt for your four. Or you're going to be looking at five and or I, six. And I love that. You know the postage stamp. I mean, oh, yeah. obviously yeah. at Troon, uh, the, the short par three that we have Seven there. Pebble. I mean, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of neat. No, I, I, I look. We Gil and I would encourage everybody if you didn't see. The first part of our U.S. Open preview we had with Gil Hans talking about 15 green. And the fact is, is that you got one shot. And even though it's a, a shot effectively of 90 to 100 yards, you better pull the shot off. Because if you're on the wrong side of that green, the contour of that green, you're going to likely be off the green with your, with your next shot, which is a putt. Now, there are five threes. What is the overriding design feature 
of the golf course that you that you find most interesting? Uh, for me, it's well. It, Brendan mentioned the Barranca that runs through it. Yeah. But I, I love primarily the, on the front side and then wraps back around. It, it on does the, on 17. 17. Yeah. Uh, I, I do love the the bunkering of the golf course. I like the way that it's a deceptive design. So a lot of the bunkers start before the green, so you're standing back in the fairway looking uphill at green complexes, and you have no idea. Your depth perception is completely off. So I think it's very deceptive in its design. Now, when you have yardage books and lasers and you know the number, that doesn't make quite a big of a difference. But when you're out of position and you think that bunker's carryable, it's, it's really cool, and you're going to see some guys with some awkwardly long bunker shots. Okay, as far as the town itself, is L.A., you think L.A. is a great sports town? It's no, I don't. I mean, I think it's well. I mean, it's it, it has a bu- it has a whole lot on the menu. I mean, I think it's a great Laker town. I think it's a it's, it's a, great, a great Dodger town. Yeah, I mean, it's a great for maybe the biggest events um, or the biggest stick and ball sporting events. Um, I, I I don't know the answer to that yet in terms of how they're going to receive the U.S. Open. I I feel strongly about how the 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 nation is going to respond to the U.S. Open being there, and I think that'll be very cool. In terms of the way the market is going to connect to the event, uh, that's TBD for me. Okay. Maybe, maybe Mr. Billis will read his book, well, Talk that is, to Us. That, that is why I asked the question, because even though we don't have commercial breaks here on the Five Clubs Conversation, we're effectively going to take one, and, and Jay Billis is going to join us, and he okay. will answer that question. And probably other things we're not interested in, as we continue from the in-town club here in Charlotte right after this. Think this is only a grip? It's only my sole connection to this. It's only in my hands on every single shot. It's an extra two yards of carry when it matters most. Yeah, only a grip. Mine are only golf pride. Respect the grip. With that, we welcome you back to the In-Town Golf Club here in Charlotte, North Carolina. This fabulous new social club for people who love the game of golf or just want to hang out at a fabulous spot. And we are joined by the resident Southern Cal guy himself growing up in Palos Verdes, California. Rolling Hills. Rolling Hills. Excuse pa- me. Palos Verdes is He's the already correcting me. That took long. Uh, it's Jay Billis. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Uh, first of all, let me ask you to, oh, here we go. <laughs> to, to respond to Taylor point that, that L.A. is not a good sports not town. Not a great sports well, town. Why don't you ask the Mobile, Alabama guy about sports in L.A.? <laughs> well, it's a great sports town. It's not just a Lakers or Dodgers town, but you got SC, UCLA. I mean, it's a it's a big-time sports town. They have huge events there. And, it, and it, it, it supports golf incredibly well. Yeah, it always has. Riviera, the Genesis, gets great support. Um, with respect to this event... You didn't grow up playing a lot of golf, and you have now become, you know, incredibly passionate about the game, not just playing it, paying attention to what's going on. Do you think that this event will, will be received in a way that people are going to be totally turned on by the idea of it being there and support it? Well, I think golf fans will. I don't think, you know, to, to Taylor's point, I'm not sure the entire, like, the surfers are going to go, hey, we're not no. going to catch the waves because they're Sports playing at LACC. fans in L.A. Yeah, I think it will. I think it, it, it because LA is bigger than a place like Charlotte when the Wells Fargo is here, that that touches a larger percentage of our population than it would in LA. 
but it's going to be, it's, the crowds are going to be gigantic. I heard they're building a bridge over Wilshire Boulevard to get people yeah. from one side to another. And, uh, and look, when I was growing up there, I had no idea L.A. Country Club existed. I, I, you know when people say, I drove past there a million times. I drove past there literally a thousand times and didn't know it was there. And the first time I went on the property, I couldn't believe that there was that much property in L.A. that was devoted to a golf, uh, a golf facility. It's like Central Park in there, and it's magnificent. Uh, so for people to have the opportunity to walk that property and watch the best golfers in the world play, I don't think you'll see many many tickets go unused. If that's a, and I think the they'll handle the traffic and all that stuff uh, because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Having the Walker Cup there a couple of years ago and showing that place off on television, just like when when it was at Seminole, to be able to see that. Uh, I think that'll generate even more interest. Because there hasn't been a major championship in the men's game in Los Angeles in 75 years, I don't think that's people not realize. Right. Riviera PGA yeah, Riviera Championship. PGA. Oh, that's right. U.S. Open. Excuse me, 1941. Thank you for the I actually the worked Calisades. the PGA. It was 1983. Hal Sutton won. No, I understand and that. And in I 90 said U.S. Open. 95. You said major championship. Yeah, I know. I, I, said, okay, okay. I, I apologize. Okay, okay. U.S. And, Open. And technically, that's in Pacific Palisades. So in the, in the city of Los Angeles. Gary's right. Okay. Gary's right. No, no, I'm not. I, no, no. I, I, no. Their point is well made. Uh, that's actually L.A. County. <laughs> oh my I mean, God! Holy cow! It didn't take. <laughs> you say Waxhaw's not part of Charlotte. <laughs> it's well. suddenly gotten very litigious <laughs> around here. Um, it, as far as like George Thomas, though, when you think of, of Riviera, the only reason that Los Angeles Country Club happened in the form that Gil Hans restored it to is because he went on and did Riviera and Bel Air. And after what Herbert Fowler had done in the early 20s, the membership at Los Angeles Country Club went, wait a second, like, we, we could have that? And so that's why it happened. I don't think people understand what Thomas did with those three golf courses in such close proximity to each other. No, I don't. And I think there's no, they have no clue. And uh, golf architecture a hundred years ago was something you had to pay to do in, instead of being paid to do. Yeah. Um, it, instead of being paid handsomely to do, and it'd be a very you know lucrative endeavor to get into these days. Those days, people like George Thomas were paying in order to design golf courses. It was a completely different time. Um, but there, make no mistake, Riviera and LA are both complete gems. Uh, I've loved both of them. And I think that as we were discussing earlier, the overwhelming amount of people that are there, whether they're playing or they're watching, will absolutely love the golf course. The, the, you know, for, for you growing up there, Riviera, because, you know, Glenn Campbell was actually the face uh, of the tournament in the 70s and early 80s. Bel Air, because celebrities play golf there. L.A. is like a secret society, Los Angeles Country Club. When did you become aware of the persona and the vibe of Los Angeles Country Club? Well, my brother played there. He was a, a, a talented junior golfer in Southern California. So I was aware, I was aware that it existed. I didn't know where it was. Uh, I was probably in my 40s when I started playing there with friends. Um, you know, as you get older, some of your friends become members of nice places. So I'd started playing with some of my high school buddies that were members there. And I, I look, I think it's the best golf course in Southern California. I think L.A. Country Club, you know, L.A., San Diego included. You go up to Northern California, we can get some arguments about it. But, but it's probably L.A. And, and Riviera that are the two best golf courses in, in Southern California. And, and for, for me, I think L.A. is the best. 
you know, five par threes, they're all substantially yeah. different. It's a really interesting golf course. The fact that one and 18 touch each other and, and share uh, share ground where you can, you know, you blow it left on one, which happens to me from time to time, and you know, play off 18 fairway and vice versa. It's it's really cool, um, but it's an angles golf course, I think. And uh, you know, like you get to 12, and you think, oh, it's only 380 yards. You better hit it in the right spot, or you're not going to be able to to see that green. Uh, and there's a lot of there's a couple of blind shots there. Um, six is really cool. Uh, it, it's a real risk reward hole, um, but the fact that the, the I, I think from from my limited experience in golf, I, my sense is that the par threes are going to decide the tournament. Yeah. You know, when you got five substantially different par threes, uh, where where that that you know, it's not like it's not like PGA Tour pros. You know, they make up strokes on par threes. A lot of those par threes, if you make a three, you'll be pretty happy there. Usually with the U.S. Open, I, I think the, co- the the golf course. It's so provocative because it's so hard, and I'm, I, I know that L.A. Country Club is going to be hard, but do you think it'll be the star because it's going to show itself in such a spectacular way? We just haven't seen anything like it in so long, major championship-wise, and I liked his point about 1-18 and 18 touching. Yeah. Where does that make you think of? Yeah, the old course. Thank yeah. you, yeah. right? So it's, it's a unique venue. We haven't seen it. It is totally going to steal a show and Oak Hill was incredible for the PGA Championship but at the same time like every hole kind of felt the same a little bit big steep face bunkers and now you look at holes like six that Jay mentioned you've got a drivable short par four and then you've got 13 that's 525 yards yeah. and or 17 16 they're all you got all these big holes and little holes and it's got such a great mixture of, of different styles of golf I think LA Country Club is hands down going to steal the show. And, and the bunkers are awesome uh, because, like, Gil Hance did an amazing job with that place because, you know, if, if you want to be in a bunker, you better fly it in there because if they get stuck in, the, in that stuff around it, sure. um, it's going to be hard to play out of that stuff. And, and a lot of those things get stuck around the bunkers as opposed to going in. They, there's not a lot of the balls rolling into them. And I think 16 actually plays longer than number eight. The par five number eight on the card is 535. Right. I mean, 16, am I seeing measuring yeah. at 540 or something? Right. And the way the eighth fairway ends, it's it's understandable, but I just think it's it's a very unique golf course and the way it's going to be set up is... Yeah, 16, uh, you're hitting the ball past, essentially past 11 green. You right. know, if you rope hook one there, you're, you're down that hill in the back of 11. And it, it's a it's an awesome setup. I, think I just of, think it'd be fantastic. Can't think of many golf courses in major championship golf or in professional golf that run um, parallel to the to the clubhouse. And almost every 18th hole in all of great professional golf comes to you, right? This one is there. The the it runs from right to left. If you're in the clubhouse. There's the first tee over there, and there's the 18th green over here, and you're watching them progress uh, down the entire hole. That's unique. I can't think of many other places no, that have that. No, I can't either. The, the other thing, and they're going to have to deal with this, is that, that when you go off number one, that's into the rising sun, that's, and then 18 is into a setting sun, mm. which is counter to a George Thomas philosophy. Never wanted to build opening holes and closing holes that played in those directions, but it just it, it turned out that way. But I, the I'm, members aren't playing at sunset. They're having a drink. No, no, but, but these players, it, it truly, Jay, though, on, on 
to, to Taylor's earlier point, they are really taking this to 11 o'clock on the East Coast. So it's going to be 8 o'clock out there local time, which I think is going to be great. You know, primetime golf in the U.S. Open happened by accident in 2000 with Tiger with all the delays at Pebble Beach. And I'm like, wow, this audience is huge. We should do this later. And, and now they're really going to take advantage of it. It's a massive it. difference. Uh, massive. No, for some crazy reason, uh, some of our mutual bosses give Bill us these games. But um, there's a massive difference the later you go in the day and how many eyeballs are watching. Uh, 7, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock on the East Coast will be huge for golf. Yeah, absolutely. Will. And the weather, like the fact that the weather will be the same every day. Yeah. So it doesn't matter when you tee off. It's not like the the open championship or something where you can get a, a horrible a horrible weather in the morning the next day you get horrible weather in the afternoon you get screwed by by the weather that's not going to happen at, in la it's going to be the same every day it, it is i will say this and it'll be interesting to see how they navigate it it's 156 players that's hard that is an arduous process to get guys around on a very difficult test no matter how hard it's set up the other part of it is that if you think about six seven eight and nine you're talking about six which is a drivable four Seven is a very long three, eight is a reachable five, and nine is a three. That bottleneck could be, I mean, it could be a real problem. Not any worse than Southern Hills was last year no, with I, having to walk behind. True, well, true. the Open Championship when you had so many drivable par fours at, at St. Andrews yep. last year. No, no, that's fair. Jay, since we've got you here, you listen to the early part of our conversation. You've been paying close attention to what's been going on with the PGA Tour and live um, your thoughts on the news? I was shocked just because of the rhetoric that's been used throughout the process. I didn't think there was any way this was going to happen in this time frame. Uh, so I was shocked. You actually sent me a, a, the, the, the article about it, and my response was, no way. Like, I, I thought at first, this can't be, this can't be right. Um, you know, and, and not to hash over all this stuff, but when, when all the live stuff started, my initial reaction was, it's a competitive product. The PGA Tour shouldn't respond to it. If players want to go play, let them go play and leave the, the tour open and make the, make the Saudis tell them they're exclusive. And you eliminate all this antitrust problem. Um, part of the issue here is, is anti-competitive practices. Um, but the, the Saudis got what they wanted here. They, they essentially, live, the live tour was a Trojan horse into the PGA Tour. And this influx of, of capital, you know, at first it was called dirty money. Now it's called an influx of capital. Um, but it's going to be billions, you know, billions of dollars. So your question before about who won, um, everybody's going to make more money now. And, and obviously that's the, you know, that's the lead story of this is the amount of money that's going to come in to, to golf now is exponentially going to rise and the players are ultimately going to benefit. They'll work out all the details and there'll be a lot of them to work out. Uh, I heard somebody say, well, the lawyers, are, maybe it's Brandel Chambie, the lawyers are the losers. The litigators might be, the corporate lawyers are going to do just fine because there's a lot of paperwork that's going to have to be done in this. Uh, but, but you know, the, the fact that so many people had to do a 180 in this and a, a total about face um, given what they had said and the stance that had been taken was really surprising. And, and some of the words that are being used, hypocrite and all that, those are fair. Um, I wouldn't want to be called that, but they're fair given what was said. The, um, the, the antitrust part of this, there's a lot that still has to be resolved in that department, is there yeah, not? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, 
Yes, and your, your point about the, the AFL-NFL merger was, was fair, that, that there, there was an act of Congress that helped grease the skids for that. But I'm not sure that, that there's really that much of a problem. Okay. Could, could, could federal regulators come in and say, wait a minute, this is a monopoly? I don't see who the complaining party would be, who's getting hurt here. So I'm not sure that that, that would be of major concern. And it's certainly before you went into something like this that, that they would have sought counsel on whether it was the right thing to do. Um, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that. I, like, who's the party getting hurt here? I mean, is there another golf tour that, that's, that they're, you know, Ostensibly, they're is taken all away? under the umbrella now. I can't. But they're all agreeing to be under the umbrella. True. So, so the merger, you know, that, that's the thing is, is it's not one party buying out another, which essentially was going on. They called it a merger with the AFL, NFL thing. But, but uh, the Saudis, you know, the PIF is basically saying, hey, we're going to give you, here's what we're going to throw into this. And the PGA Tour is, is basically retaining some autonomy here. Uh, so it's a, it, we'll see what the, the final product looks like, but I can't imagine we're going to see live events and PGA Tour events. I think they'll all be folded into one thing. To, to Taylor's point earlier about, you know, they might make a team event or something, but I can't imagine that they're going to keep the, the live tour as is. Uh, for, for past 2023. And to Jay's point, I know it's semantics, but the yeah. PGA Tour has pushed back quite a bit the day that it was announced on Tuesday with the word merger, because in essence, to Jay's point, it's it's technically not one. They're, right, they're, right. They're, the, the PIF is giving a lot of money to the PGA Tour, and I think ultimately what we'll see is the designated events, in essence, are funded by and large by the, by the PIF. Um, but you're not going to see, like he's saying, you're not going to see Live Golf and the PGA Tour turn into one thing. Right. You're just going to see what was funding Live Golf now fund the PGA Tour. What was it again? A, a capital infusion? Ca yeah, yeah. <laughs> capital investment. Capital investment. You know, now it's a capital investment. And uh, look, I, I get it. At the beginning, and it, it remains to now, there, there is a significant uh, moral argument here. And that seems to have been pushed aside. And everybody's saying, no, I didn't really mean that or I didn't say that. Um, they did. And, and it still exists. Uh, but the, the money piece of this has, has said, well, look over here. And, uh, and it's, it's really unseemly. Um, you know, I wish that, that it had been handled differently at the beginning. But I do understand that when you have competition, uh, you know, people tend to get uh, insecure and they say things perhaps they shouldn't. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that, that the moral arguments weren't right. They are right, mm. in my view. Uh, but but that, that sort of complete and total 180, um, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, I'm having a hard time with it, honestly. Well, and, and I just want to bring Johnson into this because I spoke to several PGA Tour players that feel the same way you do after this was announced, that as you're saying, Everybody is now talking about the money, and it's fine. Don't think about the, the morality of this. There are a number of PGA Tour players on Tuesday when they received word of this that were very upset about the fact that they are now doing business and receiving money 
from this public investment fund, at least in the PGA Tour players I spoke to. Well, and it's not about the morality of doing business with the Saudis anymore. For me, it's the morality of our commissioner of the PGA Tour who said we shouldn't do business with these people, and now he's done a 180-degree turn. You know why? Because of money. Because he took the money because the designated events weren't getting funded by the tour's sponsors, so they looked for other venues to continue these $20 million events. And... Where do you go? You go to the ones that have it. So anyway, excuse me. No. It's, but it's, it's a tough spot. It's a tough spot. You know, it's a, Gary, it's, Gary had mentioned this to me earlier that how does the tour look the players in the eye if they let the, the live players back? That meekly. they turn down money and all that stuff. It, but, but at the same time, how do you get a deal done if you have all these competing viewpoints? Mm-hmm. It, it would be next to impossible to get a, a deal done. So you have to have people in charge that are gonna, gonna make decisions in the best interest of the enterprise. So it's a difficult balance, but it's hard to imagine that the, the leadership of the tour survives this long-term mm. because there are a lot of people that are upset and should be and have a right to be uh, given uh, the rhetoric and the stances that have been taken up to this point. And all of a sudden with no warning, no discussion, no input, you know, the the switch gets flipped and all of a sudden we've got a, a new entity. Yeah, I, I think that that question and, and you know, Jay Monahan's ability to hold his position because they're not going to realize this money immediately. And that's that's what he's counting on. He has to fortify all these guys and he's not going to be do it be able to do it as quickly as they're going to be able to potentially vote on whether he remains as the commissioner, let alone the CEO of the new entity. We're going to cut you loose. Thank you for taking a couple minutes. Brendan Young is going to rejoin us as we continue here from the in-town golf club here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're back right after this. I think this is only a grip. It's only my sole connection to this. It's only in my hands on every single shot. It's an extra two yards of carry when it matters most. Yeah, only a grip. Mine are only golf pride. Respect the grip. We are back at the in-town golf club here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Brendan Young rejoins us. All right, let's get to this field at L.A. Country Club. You picked the right winner for uh, the PGA Championship. You you picked Brooks Koepka to win. Should Brooks be the betting favorite? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Should he be? I think Scotty Scheffler should be, but Brooks would be number two. Okay. Brooks, definitely. We've never seen anybody ride a wave of confidence the way he does. You were kind of like this when you played. He's just got a lot more talent than you do. How many beers did you have when you were taking a One. break? Thank God. You just nice. compared him to Brooks nice. Becker. Thank you. No, I mean, why you would were. you <laughs> ever do that? Uh, he Wags is one hell of a front runner. When he gets near yeah. the top of the board, he does Thanks, pounce. Bro. That's a fair point. Um, Brooks Kepka in the major championships pounces when he's at the top of that board. And as great as Scotty Scheffler has been in this ridiculous run of top 12 finishes in his last 15 events. That putter down the stretch in a major championship, I think he needs to see a few go in before he has the confidence that he comes anywhere close to Brooks Koepka's right now. Yeah, I'm, I, I, it's got to be Brooks for me. I mean, if you, his first U.S. Open was at Pinehurst in 2014. He finished tied for fourth. 
and then a couple other top 20s, win, win. He was the last line of defense to Gary Woodland. I mean, I thought when he blitzed the first six holes, I thought he was going to win at, at Pebble Beach. He was right there at Torrey Pines. And considering what he just did, I, he's, he's got to be the favorite to me. I get the Scheffler thing. So if it, would you put Scheffler right there with Rom as yeah. 1A, both of those guys? Um, Scheffler a little is, bit more. Maybe Rom is cooled a bit. I agree. You know, I mean, he's still obviously one of the best, if not the best players in the world. But these guys have forgotten more about this topic than you and I have. But form is such a fickle thing. And when you have your best form, getting it to last more than a month or two months or three months is the hardest thing to do in professional golf. And, Johnson, and John Rahm has basically had it for almost a year. It, makes, it just makes me wonder, you know, can he keep that form? But what he did, he played great on the West Coast, terrible in Florida, went into Augusta, played great and won. Scotty Scheffler's been on form for so, so long. long. Yeah. And it takes a lot out of you to be in contention every single week and not to mention missing putts on Sundays every single week leading the field and strokes gained in every category other than putting Brom is kind of flying under the radar again just like he went into the Masters Fair. and so Rom doesn't have the mental stress of being in contention the last seven weeks in a row like Scheffler so actually you flipped me over to Rom now just for that point Scheffler's fried even with a week off wait a second even with a week hey he's fried even with a week off he has to be mentally fried did you watch Colonial I I watched him finish on the cut line and have his hot breath on the back of the neck of of Denny McCarthy I I mean I'm serious in three minutes he went from he just shot 67 on a golf course that was harder than Oak Hill but he can't he, he was he was Minus eight strokes gained. It was he had, plus 20 and everything If he had else. Denny McCarthy's putting, he would have won the tournament by 17 shots. Okay, if Denny that's McCarthy had to, his ball strike, he would have won by 30. But I think that's got to, well, fair. But I think that's got to wear you down. And I think ball striking travels. And I love Scheffler to be there. But I, I'm, I'm pulling. I'm so pulling now away. he's out of your stable I'm, altogether. Well, he's going to finish top five. <laughs> wait, till, wait, till three minute, wait till three minutes from now. He's going to pick Rory. <laughs> He's, he's uh, fried, but he's going to finish in the top five on the hardest golf course in the world. Maybe Scheffler will win. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, the Scheffler thing, though, the, the way that he has sustained not only the fact that he won't go away and he contends every single week and his ball striking, nothing's Tiger. But statistically, this is, again, the putter is what it is. It's weird. It's been, it's been cold. It's extraordinary what he's doing. The, the ball striking is next level right it's now. It's insane. I mean, it is. the numbers are absolutely ridiculous. And honestly, he doesn't have to putt well. Just If he putts average, there's a very good chance that he's going to win. I mean, as I say, the, the ball striking, it's off this world. I, I think we all agree who one, two, and three is and are. Who's four? I mean, I might put Victor Hobbs in would, the top three. You? I might, I might you, put him in above somebody else. I mean, above he's, Rory? Well, yeah, no, for no, no, sure, but, but uh, Scheffler and and Kepka Rom, and Rom, those Kepka. are your three. You would put Hovland in in front I of mean, one of those guys, he, possibly. I mean, you he's would. right there to me on that list, and it goes back to what these guys were saying earlier about the ball striking on a golf yeah. course like that. There's such a premium on putting the ball in the green there, and I think that if you miss a green there, you're going to be penalized even more. Now, I know that you're not going to hit all the greens. You're going to hit 12, 13, 14 greens a day. And your chipping better be pretty good. 
Hovland, the weakness of his game historically has been that, but he has been significantly, significantly better, better in that category in 2023. So I would, ex- and listen, he's been in the top 10 in the last three majors. I, I totally expect him to be a factor. He he's been outspoken on how hard he's worked on this short game. He's Sorry gotten better. And coming off the disappointment of that PGA with that shot on 16 yep. into the lip of the bunker, which we saw Corey Connors, his dark horse pick for the PGA, who was right there. I would listen to this guy all day long. But for him to hit that shot, have that disappointing finish, make a birdie on the last to finish second with Scheffler at Oak Hill, and then come out and win the Memorial in a playoff, like, the guy's showing some serious cojones. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. Plus, Brendan, the other thing is he played in the last group at the Open, which was the last major of 22. He finishes tied for seventh at the Masters. Then he plays in the last group at the PGA with the guy who won. And other than the ball in the face of the bunker on 16, the guy, he was flawless on that Sunday. Yeah. Would he be fourth for you as well? Yeah, without a doubt. I, I wouldn't put Rory up there in a firm U.S. Open. I don't think he's patient enough. I really don't. I, you know, we saw him win um, Congressional, but it was a very, very soft U.S. Open. I don't think Rory's patient enough. His record at the Open since he won is pretty modest. It's not, it's, it, it, it's not that great. Um, the, the, the Rory too. Riddle, yeah, the combination of the wedge game and Sunday, did, is there progress from him, though? If you look at where he was sure. when we convened after Wells Fargo, before the PGA Championship, progress, PGA and Memorial. Absolutely. He was in the okay. fight at Memorial. Yeah. yeah, that absolutely counts for something, even though his wedge game was histo- mind-bogglingly bad yep. inside 100 yards. The, the, the driver was exceptional, and the fact that he was in the fight, I think that counts for something. But... Jack Nicholas said it on the broadcast, and then he whispered it to him as well. Yeah. Rory, Justin Thomas, I know, is going through a really rough season, but I think the thing that we admire most about him is how he can play with different speeds, 50, 75, 100%, and everywhere in between. feels like Rory only has one speed, and that, that concerns me at a place like LACC. It's a riddle, and if it's firm and fast, and, and it was super firm and fast, and to his credit... He was in the last group on Sunday at Memorial, but he shot 75. And with, with wedges in his hand on four holes, made bogey on our four holes. Are you not bullish on him? I am not bullish on Rory. He is driving the ball well, but he has not shown me enough of an overall game to be picking him for a U.S. Open. Okay. How about the dynamic of him maybe knowing whatever he knew about this merger, and, and there's a sense of ease and maybe his mind, now he's going to get peppered at L.A. North before, he, before the tournament starts. I'm looking forward to being there, to li- and not for him to be uncomfortable, but he's going to get peppered with live questions. Of course he is, but the fact that he's playing this week in Canada yeah. could be helpful in that he's going to be peppered Fair. there. Now he's not going to be peppered by the same people there. Yeah. They will be peppering him next week, but I do think he'll be used to the questions by the time we get to next week. Um, Does that help him at all, that that's I, out? and he can? Sure, I, I think that... The fact that he can just concentrate on golf and he doesn't have to be the voice, as Tiger said, the ambassador for the PGA Tour that he's been, that, I'm sure that counts for something in terms of maybe playing a little bit better. Okay, how, how about Jordan Spieth? Because we, he's won the event, and he won it in 2015, and everybody here, if you don't know, he's so smitten with Spieth he can't even compose himself. Um, is he going to be a factor? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a perfect golf course for him. 
It's, it doesn't have like the head high rough that you would think. It's got jumpy Bermuda rough. Yep. It, it, it is in, requires incredible short game imagination around these greens. Yep. And I, I just think that he's he's got all the tools. You can spray it a little bit. I, I think this is a good golf course. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Chambers Bay and the sort of the topography, the way the course moves. The L.A. North members right now I understand are, that. are I like, know, what did I, he say? I know, I know, I know. A terrible... <laughs> I'll say anything to get Jordan Spieth out there. How about Spieth? You like him I, at all? I, I hate to agree with him, but yes. You do like him? I do. So I do think, I. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I was not bullish at all going into the Oak Hill PGA. I didn't think that set up very good. I agree. I think that Bermuda rough, that imagination can come out. Yeah, and Bermuda, I mean, I, and yeah. Bermuda greens. It would be a lot of fun to disagree with all of you. But, but to yeah. do B Bermuda uh, rough, though, around yeah, the greens, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the fact that you, it, it's not as claustrophobic off the tee as Johnson is saying. I, he, even though he has been so accurate this year, he I has. still think it's been it'll it'll help his confidence that it's not as narrow as maybe some other U.S. Opens are. The one reason why I wouldn't pick him maybe above two or three others is because. I need to see him put four straight days together. Still worry about this wrist a little bit. Yeah, I, I, look, I'm encouraged. He had a solid week at Memorial. Did, I mean, yeah. he finished, he finished fifth. four under, finished fifth. The other thing about, you know, you made the Chambers Bay thing, and, but your point is, like, next to Tiger, and it's a long, it's a, it's a, it's a Rubicon between him and everybody else, he's really good with the ground, and the ground's a real factor here. And he's got great imagination, and he has great intuition, and I think it'll serve him well. I think he's going to be very much right in the mix. And my main focus on this golf course and why it's going to be so unique is the bunkers. Do you know anybody that's better out no. of bunkers in the top ten players in the world than Jordan Spieth? He's the best. Okay, who are we missing? Who, who should be Max right Homa, in that? who's totally under the radar right now, had a hot start to the year, has done nothing. It's in his hometown. Max Home is in a good position, and Max plays a, a fade exclusively off the tee. Yep. And I think this golf course, which it, with its room off the tee, sure. is gonna is gonna allow him to be. Riviera's been very kind to him, although he said himself, other than it being a second shot golf course, there's not a lot that he would compare very similarly to, to Riviera. How about Homa? No major championship record. No, to I speak was actually of. gonna say Homa as well. Though he proved that he loves playing at home. He's yep. comfortable in front in front of the big home crowds. Um, I think he's a guy to watch for sure. Um, Tony Finau. I still think Tony Finau. He disappointed the hell out of me in the PGA. He did. Um, I think Tony Finau manages the golf course. And I'm really sure well. it, I'm sure he's very upset that I'm disappointed <laughs> that he he'll, didn't he'll play hit well. He'll a variety of clubs off the tees, and I, I, he would be one that I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Okay. Play, How play about Xander Shoffley? Of course. Very good. Great, a, very good major championship and U.S. Open record. A great ball striker. He's not the guy I was going to mention. Okay. Ricky Fowler mm. has been the epitome of consistency throughout 2023. His, all of his stats are better. He seems to be much more comfortable competing against the best players in the world this year. I think that he's going to have a big week in L.A. I wouldn't be surprised if Ricky Fowler finally wins a major championship. Wow. Why not Can go with – Give him a hard time. Why not go – Give him a hard time. You're be wearing some, your orange Puma hat. Why there? not go with some – I'm wearing turquoise or whatever this is instead <laughs> for Ishi and Gary. But uh, – I am going to, instead of going with the obvious choice. You are picking Oakland, him to win? I am. Wow. Okay, with that being said, let's, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll pick our winners here. He's going Ricky Fowler. Who do you got? Kepka. 
You're going to go back to the well. Yeah, I mean, he always wins the PGA. Understandable. The same year. There's actually been more. I mean, Tiger has three multi-major championship winning seasons Are you, in this you century. Are you going to ask Wagner here? No, I'm going to ask him. But, I mean, my point is this. I was thinking about, God, you know, winning two majors in a year, that doesn't happen very much. Spieth did it in 2015. Padraig Harrington did it. Kepka has done it. Who do you like? Oh, you're going to say it, aren't you? You're going to say it. I came in tonight thinking Scheffler, but now I'm thinking Spieth. Jordan Spieth wins the year. You did think Rom for a few minutes, too. (laughs) No, but Jordan Spieth's going to be Rom. Okay. Um, We haven't said his name all night. Cam Smith. That's your pick? Yeah. Yeah. And you know why? Because he played very well in Tulsa. And (laughs) that's a joke, people. That was a live event. No, he actually did. He was in a playoff. When no. that shotgun goes off on the 13th hole, man, he is something. Are, are you telling me that Cam Smith, who won at St. Andrews at the old course? Played good at Chambers it, Bay, too. Yes, he did. And also played well at Oak Hill, finishing a tied for ninth. You talk about going under the radar. He gets no attention to begin with. It's starting to show the, the, some signs from last year. But in talking to him, and he's one of the most approachable guys in the Absolutely. game, by the way. In talking to him at Augusta, he said, I have not been anywhere as close to committed to golf as I should have been the last six months for a lot of financial reasons. Yeah. But I do think in the last couple of months, he's starting to turn into that guy again. Yeah, I mean, it, look, two, that's two long months and a, and a lot of golf and competitive golf. Um, I think he's well-suited for that place. Final thoughts, L.A. North, Shine, and is it a Grand Slam home run for the USGA? Yeah, it is, without a doubt. I, I love it. I love the fact that they're going there, going to showcase in primetime television. I, I can't wait to watch it. I'm really excited. Last thing on L.A. North in the U.S. Open. Sam Stevens, first-time U.S. Open competitor, finished second at Texas Open, very tough golf course, third in Dominican, very long golf course. Sam Stevens is a dark horse. For everybody who's looking for a top 25 of somebody, he's just giving you Sam Stevens. Anyone Look that knows you. me knows that I love L.A., Gary. Um, I think it's quite obvious <laughs> listening to this podcast here today. Um, no, I think it's going to be a terrific event, and I think that we're going to get something dramatic at the finish that happens around 10:15, 10:30 on Sunday night. Is somebody that really wants more people to connect to the game of golf, even if you hate the way that we got to this point in professional golf. I think all the news of the last week or so is going to spill over into the U.S. Open. It's going to create more interest. It's going to create interest in one of the most high-profile cities we have in this country, and I think we're going to get a thrilling finish and a great sight. I am going to tell you 6, 11, 13, and 15 are going to be huge stories. I think all four of those holes are super interesting and, and not necessarily always loved, and I think 13 is going to be interesting with guys going – we can't even hit the fairway here. And then 15 for it just being really unique and obviously, you know, playing about 100 yards. Thank you to all you guys. Everybody out there, enjoy the U.S. Open. Most importantly, thank you to everybody here at the In-Town Golf Club here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It will be the hub for everybody who loves golf. It already is. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.